0: So, if you have your Bibles, can you open them, please, to the book of 1 Samuel? And so hopefully you've got your Bible or your Bible app. We are in 1 Samuel again, and we're continuing the story of glory and redemption. How all throughout the Old Testament, it is not some old dated book that is just there for fun Sunday school stories. But all throughout the Old Testament, we have revealed to us the glory of God and His plan for the redemption of mankind. And we remember that in Adam and Eve that all of mankind has fallen and wandered away from God. And yet God still loved us and he still wanted to draw us back to himself. And we see him throughout the Old Testament history working in different ways to woo mankind back to himself. But it seems that not because of God, but because of us, each of these things falls short. And ultimately, this story, it culminates in Jesus Christ, the one Means by which God has chosen to finally and fully redeem all those who will be His. So, if you remember from last week, we kind of settled in at the end of the the, uh, the sermon with Samuel and uh, the Israelites are asking for a king, and this is kind of what Israel looks like at that time. They're still surrounded by their enemies. They have failed to claim all of the land that God had given to them because they had wandered for so many years under the time of the judges doing their own thing and doing what was right in their own eyes and sinning. And so we're left here with God's people asking God's prophet for a king. And the, the people, they refused to listen to Samuel's arguments against a the king. They refused to listen to God and allow God to be their one true king. And instead, they wanted a man who would represent them and protect them and keep them and fight their battles. And Samuel listens to all their words. He tells them to God and God says, listen to them, appoint a king for them. And so we continue the unfolding of this redemptive history by God giving to his people exactly what they thought they wanted. And that was a big, strong man as king. They had rejected God as king and wanted someone like them. And so we see the, the introduction of a man and his name is Saul. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he becomes king according to God's plans. I'm one of those weird people. I get all excited talking and then I inhale. And I choke on my own, yeah, juices. So it's just like, sorry about that. Someday I'll be a real professional speaker. But today, I'm still just a youth pastor that's all dressed up in front of you guys. So um, anyway, so 1 Samuel chapter 9, the first two verses were introduced to Saul. And and here's what God's Word says. There was a prominent man of Benjamin named Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bechareth, son of Ephiah, son of a Benjaminite. So uh, there's a guy. His name is Kish. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul. And here's what Scripture tells us about Saul. He is an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. So we're introduced to Saul. And the first thing that we're told about Saul is that he's impressive. And what's impressive about him? He's tall. He's tall. So this is what we know about Saul. The scriptures give us in a couple other places. In, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 21, a description of Saul. And Saul says this about himself. Am I not a Benjaminite from the smallest of Israel's tribes? And isn't my clan the least important of all the clans of the Benjaminite tribe? So why have you said something like this to me? It, Saul had just heard from the prophet Samuel that he was to be made king. And Saul's like, wait, wait. I'm from a little tiny tribe, and, and I'm not very important. And so we see that Saul at least had a, a moderately balanced view of himself at this point. So what do we know about Saul? Well, we know he's tall, and he's impressive, and he's, he's kind of humble. And, and then it goes on later in the scriptures to describe him like this. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the one the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among the entire population. And that's in chapter 10, verse 24, the beginning part. And so what we know about Saul is his whole description in Scripture is he's impressive, he's tall, he's kind of humble, and he's unique. And so this is the kind of person that God gives the Israelites as their first king. And why would God give them someone like Saul? Well, because He's exactly what they had asked for. They wanted a big, tall, strong, impressive guy to rule over them, to protect them, to provide for them. Remember, they had already rejected the most amazing God who had provided for them in manna, who had protected them with fire and cloud and gone before them in their victories. And instead, what they got was a tall, impressive guy who was unique amongst the people and moderately humble. And the result of Saul becoming king is one that the people should have regretted, but, well, they don't because they stick with this whole man as a king thing. But in in chapter 9, we see the story unfold. Now that we've seen who Saul is, we see his whole list of, his whole resume, his whole, you know, CV. We know what he's got to offer. He's tall and sort of humble, and he stands out amongst the crowds. And yet God gives the Israelites this man as their king. And, and the Lord tells Samuel, At this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will save them from the Philistines, because I have seen the affliction of my people, for their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, saw, saw, there you go, it's one of those tongue twisters in scripture. Uh, when Samuel saw Saul... The Lord said to him or the Lord told him here is the man I told you about he will govern my people. And so the, the whole story is is that Saul's dad lost some donkeys. Saul goes out looking for the donkeys, can't find them, ends up coming to Samuel to ask the prophet of God for some help, which was not uncommon. You know, you'd go to the prophet to hear God's voice and find out God's direction for the the whole nation. But you'd also, you got a problem? You can't find something? Let's go to the man of God and see if he can give us any help. Well, Saul is going thinking he's getting advice on where to find the donkeys. But the truth is, is that God had chosen Saul to be anointed as the king. And Samuel knows this. Samuel tells Saul this. And by the end of chapter 9, beginning of verse uh, chapter 10, we see that, that the, the move has been made to anoint Samuel, or Saul. Man, too many S names. Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it out on Saul's head, kissed him and said, hasn't the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? So what is anointing? It is just a, a, a formal act of pouring oil over someone's head to to signify that they have been set apart by God, made holy for a specific task. And Samuel anoints Saul. Now at this point, Saul does not become king in in actuality, but he is set apart as king. Over the course of chapter 10, Samuel gives Saul some prophecies about some things that are going to happen in the coming days, and all of them come true. Now, why would God do that? Why do we see this in the story? Well, we see that even the king is subject to the prophet of God. And God wants his upcoming king to understand that the prophet is the one he's going to speak through. And that the prophet Samuel is the one who is to be the spiritual authority. And when he speaks, Saul is supposed to listen to him. Because everything that Samuel prophesies over Saul and tells him will happen over the next few days, happens. Including, he, he ends up uh, prophesying, he ends up in different places, and, and things unfold exactly like the prophet says. Saul was supposed to learn a lesson. Listen to the prophet of God. But we'll find out he doesn't learn that lesson very well. By the end of chapter 10, Samuel, or Saul is being brought to all of the Israelites... And announced his king. Samuel says to all the people. Do you see the one the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him. Among the entire population. And all the people shouted. Long live the king. They're excited. They are ready. We finally got exactly what we wanted. We've got a big tall strong man. To rule over us. And protect us. And provide for us. Forget about the fact that the God of all creation used to do that. Now we've got this tall guy. And so we end up with Saul as king, the people of God following after Saul. Saul does some amazing things. Saul defeats some enemies. He earns the favor of the people. But we also begin to see over time that Saul is, well, he's not quite perfect. But, but, but first, as we look, we see um, Samuel says to the people in, in really his closing speech to them as a judge... And now he will continue as just prophet. Now here is the king you've chosen, the one you requested. Look, this is the king the Lord has placed over you. If you fear the Lord, worship and obey him. And if you don't rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors'. Samuel says to the people of Israel, and he says to King Saul, if you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey and rebel against God, his hand of favor will be removed from you. You will be essentially cursed if you disobey. And then Samuel continues to encourage them at the end of his speech, and he says, above all else, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully, with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. You see, God, through his prophet, is very clear what his expectations for Saul and the kingdom of Israel are. Fear the Lord. And not like what we would think of, you know, Halloween jump scare kind of, oh, afraid. But that fear is have respect and reverence for God. Fear the Lord. Be concerned with your relationship with him. Listen to what he says and worship him faithfully with all your heart. In other words, that worship and respect are to be integral to the relationship that you have with God. And to always keep in mind all of the great things he's done. By the end of chapter 13, it tells us this about Saul. He was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned 42 years over Israel. So this 30-year-old man, he is is called to be king. He is told you need to be obedient to what God has told you to do. You need to worship God with all that you are. That that is to be a, a priority in your life, in fact. To respect God and to worship Him. And so Saul, at a 30-year-old, ends up serving God as king for 42 years. And you'd think... 42 years, he must have done a great job, right? Except that's the problem is he didn't. He struggled with obedience. He struggled with doing what God said. And his 42 years of leadership reveal the price that he and the Israelites paid because of his disobedience. So first, let's look together. verse or, uh, Chapter 13. You can kind of follow along, as always, because we're covering big stories and people, we're covering a lot of passages together. So don't get frustrated. Go back and read it all. Find out more about Saul. Read the details. He did some cool things, but he also did some really stupid things. And sadly, we're going to have to focus on the stupid things today, because this is what ends up being the overarching view of Saul's time as king. So first, he has a a disobedient sacrifice. And you might think, well, that doesn't make sense. But it will by the time we're done. Here here what we see is is Saul is is called out to to go out and defeat some enemies. And um, the Philistines, and and they're hanging out and they're waiting. They were supposed to wait for the prophet Samuel to come because Samuel was also serving as the, the lead priest at that time. And so they were supposed to wait for him to come. And offer the sacrifice to God at the camp to set the stage for the battle they were going to go into. And so they wait a number of days. They're waiting there at camp for Saul or Samuel. And Saul's army begins to get frustrated. They get impatient. They begin to get fearful. And they begin to start deserting Saul because Samuel was not there to offer the sacrifice. So in chapter 13, verses eight and nine, it tells us this is what happens. He, this is Saul, waited seven days for the appointed time that Samuel had set. But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the troops were deserting him. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. Then he offered the burnt offering. So Saul... In, in complete contradiction to what he had been told and taught to do by the prophet Samuel, he takes the initiative and makes the offerings that were supposed to be made only by the man of God. He sacrifices animals. He offers them to God. And, and a lot of us might think, well, that's great. I mean, he was doing a good thing, wasn't he? Except the thing that he was doing that seemed good in his own eyes was an act of disobedience against God. You see, he had been told, fear the Lord. Worship Him with all of your heart. And he had no reverence for God's Word. He had no reverence for God's commands that this is how we were to worship. And so by offering the sacrifices himself, he was rebelling against God's clear standards for what it means to worship Him. And so Samuel finally arrives. And just as he finishes offering the burnt offering, Samuel comes. Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel asks, what have you done? Immediately, Samuel knows what's going on and knows that this is a big deal. Saul has rebelled against God. He has no fear of God. He approaches God and does does spiritual things the way that he wants instead of the way that God has commanded. And so, what was Saul, sorry, Samuel says to Saul, when I saw that the troops, or excuse me, Saul says to Samuel, I wish the Bible had been, you know, more variation in names sometimes. Saul says to Samuel, when I saw that the troops were deserting me, and you did come within the appointed days, and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought, the Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal, And I haven't sought the Lord's favor. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. So what we see is Saul says, I'm I'm standing here, Samuel. I've been waiting for you. And I've got very good reasons to do it the way I think is right. I've got perfectly reasonable explanations for why I have disobeyed God. I mean, I did the right thing, didn't I? I knew there had to be a sacrifice. I knew we had to, to seek God's favor. And because you weren't here to do it, somebody had to do it. And so it's perfectly reasonable for me to disobey. It's perfectly reasonable for me to rebel. And in fact, I mean, I, I didn't want to have to do it, but I made myself do it. Because it, it needed to be done, and you weren't here. And so he he convinces himself that he has every reasonable explanation for why it was okay to disobey God. And as we look at Saul, we we think, well, no wonder. I mean, his, his whole list of qualifications for this job were he was tall and he was unique. It doesn't say he was a godly man. It doesn't say that he loved the Lord with all of his heart. It just says he was the kind of king that the people wanted. And they got exactly what they asked for. A man who thought more highly of himself than he should have. A man who found in his circumstances every reason why it was acceptable to disobey God. And he, he tells the prophet, this is exactly why. And actually, maybe it's kind of your fault because you weren't here. Samuel says to Saul, you have been foolish. And, and when we hear the word foolish, sometimes we think silly. Sometimes we think, um, you know, just kind of goofy. But you need to understand that when you read the word foolish or fool in God's word, this is a, a a word that has just this amazing power. It is saying that you are rebellious. It is saying that you have chosen, essentially, to disregard God and his standards. When we read in the, in the book of Proverbs and we see... The fool described, it is someone who is walking in active rebellion against the standards of God's word. Jesus says that the word fool is so powerful and such a strong word that if you call a fellow believer a fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Especially if you do it in anger. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. And so when Samuel calls Saul a fool, he's not just saying, You're so goofy. You're so silly. Why would you? He's saying you are in active rebellion against the God of the universe. And you have seriously compromised your faith. You are a fool. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. Samuel says to Saul, if you had been faithful, if you had been obedient, if you would have waited another day, you, would have, you and your family would have been kings forever. But now that you have been unfaithful, now that you have proven that you do not fear God and you will not worship Him, He will not allow your reign to endure. Samuel says to Saul, the Lord has found a man after his own heart, And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. This man who's king thinks he has all the authority in the land stands up in rebellion against the king of creation. And the king of creation says, you will not be blessed. In fact, my hand has been removed from you and I'm choosing someone else to be king. Now, I'm not going to spoil the story because we... There's more to this. This new king, this man after God's own heart, he's only a kid at this point. And yet God chooses him and sets him apart to be not a perfect king, but a better king in the days to come. So God has rejected Saul because of Saul's disobedience. And you would think that, that as a, a grown man... Remember, he's 30 when he starts, so this is a few years later and things are unfolding. You'd think that as a grown man, Saul would go, I learned my lesson. I will listen to the word of the prophet. I will obey the commands of God. I will do as I'm told so that I might be blessed and all the people of Israel might be blessed. By the time we get to chapter 15, guess what he does? He has a second act of disobedient sacrifice. A second time where he doesn't listen to what God says he wants. Instead, he decides what seems to be right in his own mind. And in doing so, rebels against the very commands of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see there's another battle to be had. There is another time in which God wants to bless his people with a victory. And, and it, the, the king of the Amalekites, the Amalekites are, are to, be, to, uh, to be attacked. And God is, is telling Saul that he will be victorious. And, and he tells him, go and attack the Amalekites and completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them. Kill men and women, infants and nursing babies, oxen and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now, in our day and age, we read this command and we go, how terrible. Why would God say to destroy everyone? What we have to understand about the Old Testament is when these things happen, this is actually God bringing His judgment upon the Amalekites. He's using the Israelites to bring judgment for the sinful lives of the Amalekites. And so this is fair... And this is just not because God is is some sort of evil and terrible God who likes to kill people. But rather, this is the punishment that the Amalekites deserved because of their sinfulness. And God was using his people, the Israelites, to bring that punishment. If we look later in biblical history, we know that ultimately the Israelites deserve punishment. The the, the tribe of Judah, the people of Judah, they deserve punishment. And God uses the Babylonian Empire to punish them. God uses the Persian empire to punish them. And so God will use physical means to bring punishment for spiritual rebellion. And this is what is supposed to happen here. When God says, go and attack the Amalekites and completely destroy everything they have, what does he exclude on this list of of what is to be destroyed? Nothing. So if, if he says everything, everything should be destroyed. Don't spare them. Kill men and women, infants and nursing babies, oxen and sheep, camels and donkeys. What is supposed to be killed? Everyone and every animal. That there is supposed to be nothing that leaves this battle, this victory. That everything is to be destroyed utterly in this conquest. And so... It unfolds that things go just as God says. That they go in, they destroy the Amalekites. But Saul, in his own wisdom, decides a number of things. He keeps some of the animals and some of the fine things of the Amalekites. And he also leaves the king of the Amalekites alive. And he he kind of gets called out on this a little bit later in the chapter. Uh, Samuel arrives. And when Samuel comes to him, Saul says... May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Saul says, I did it all just like God told me. And Samuel replies, Then what is the sound of sheep, goats, and cattle that I hear? What was God's command? Wipe it out. And Saul saves some animals and says, I did exactly what God said. Samuel's like, No, you didn't. Why do I hear living things? God said, wipe it all out. Saul answers, well, here's what went down. The troops brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep and goats and cattle in order to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we destroyed. Now, God commanded, destroy them all. And Saul and, and then the troops They walk in and they say, well, that's pretty nice. We should probably take that back. Let's do that for God. We're going to save it for a a sacrifice for later. They take the king of the Amalekites captive in hopes that they can make him, you know, maybe confess God or they can punish him for his sins and and feel like things are really justified. But God had said what? Destroy everything. Kill everything. And Saul and, and, and the troops there... They did what was best in their own eyes. But doesn't it seem really spiritual what they said they were doing? They said, it's, hey, I, you know, it really seemed right to save some of this so that we could sacrifice it to God. It really seemed right that, you know, maybe later in the day we could have a service and we could do some nice things for God. We could, we could offer him these things that he said to wipe out. And Samuel replies with this, does the lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the lord look to obey is better than sacrifice to pay attention is better than the fat of rams for rebellion is like the sin of divination and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the lord he has rejected you as king in case you were thinking maybe Saul can be redeemed maybe he can make a right choice he rebels again. He ignores the word of the Lord. He disobeys with the best of intentions, it seems, but in empty religion. And he rejects relationship with the king of kings. And Samuel says, because you've done this, you are rejected because you've rejected God, because you don't fear him, because you don't worship him as he asks, he has rejected you. Now, as we look at Saul and we look at the the rest of his life and how it unfolds, uh, Scripture tells us he was tormented by a spirit. In other words, he he had this thing where he just got all out of sorts and the only thing that would soothe him was music. He was tormented. He was jealous. He struggled with this, this burning jealousy, especially against this one young man, the one whom God had appointed as the next king. He burned with jealousy. He struggled with people not giving him what he thought was the credit due to him. He was unhinged at times. He would be, just be sitting there. Everything would be fine. The next thing you know, Saul's picking up a spear and chucking it at somebody. He is just unhinged. We see that, that Saul, he consults a medium to practice necromancy later in his life. He goes to someone who can conjure up the spirits of the dead so that he can try and get advice from Samuel who has passed away by this time. He he, he does so many things that are in direct contradiction to the commands of the Lord. And and ultimately, Saul dies in, in, in this way, ignominy, he just ends up um, fighting the Philistines. He's injured by a, a, a couple of arrows and then he takes his own life because he doesn't want to be captured. And so we see Saul, instead of being lifted up, instead of being glorified, instead of being honored, he is utterly rejected by God. He has a life of nothing but trouble and, and, and torment because he has rejected God himself. And so what can we, we learn about Saul? Well, first we need to understand that Saul failed miserably as king. And Why did Saul fail as king? Because his whole list of qualifications were the things that we as people would want out of a king. He was tall. He was strong. He was unique. These are all the things that make people famous and popular nowadays, aren't they? They're good looking. They've got a sweet voice. Things that are actually quite shallow and meaningless. They can rap according to, you know, a rhythm. I, I'm not good at rapping. I won't do it. I have some old 90s rap stuck in my head that I won't even make you suffer through. It's, it's not even the good stuff. Uh, yeah, sorry. It's 90s Christian rap. Yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway, so um, the whole point, though, is, is that why did Saul fail? Well, because he was the perfect king for sinful people he was exactly what they wanted and we see that his leadership fails because we want sinful things we want to lift up people we want to follow people who are like ideal in our eyes but we fail to see that those kinds of things will only lead to destruction that kind of leadership will never rescue us and bring us into the presence of god And so it's important for us not to to put our hope in some false leader, some king who is just the perfect person, but a degenerate, unsaved pagan. And really, there's only ever going to be one king who can lead us in the right direction and provide for us all that we need. And the Israelites had him as king and rejected him, but he didn't give up. He continued to love them. He continued to work through them. And ultimately, he came as king for all of us, for all who would believe on him as Lord and Savior. He longs to be the king of your life, and that is Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, the one that God had provided for and planned for from the very beginning of the fall. But but he had to show us that we needed him. That's what the whole Old Testament is about, is showing that no matter how hard we try, we can't get to God on our own. None of our solutions will work. None of the kings that we would like will save us, but He was faithful and ultimately sent a king who could. And because we have a king like this, because we have a king who's worthy of worship, because we have a king who is God Himself incarnate, who gave His life for us, we have to remember that our worship matters. That was Saul's big issue, is he thought he could come to God on his own terms, that he could define what it meant to worship God, that as long as he did the ritual, he was good. But what we find is God doesn't love your ritual. God wants you. He wants your obedience. He wants your heart. To really walk as a Christian is not to sacrifice things like you're supposed to and attend on a Sunday morning and come to a Bible study or two, but it is to genuinely love the Lord your God with all that you are and to be obedient to what He has clearly asked of you. And so, genuine worship, worship that matters, first of all, it's not going to be selfish. What we see in Saul is selfish worship. Why does he offer the sacrifice the first time? Well, the man of God is late, and i got to get some things done, so I'm going I'm to worship this way. I'm going to offer the sacrifice. The second time, it was, well, you know, the man of God told me to do something specific. God told me something specific, but I think this is better. I know of a better way. And that's selfish. Genuine worship is also not formulaic. What, what's interesting is we see that, that Samuel says to Saul... Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? And that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. He loves your obedience over your perceived sacrifices. I am so pleased that all of you are here today. Thank you for coming to church on Sunday. Thank you for for participating in the life of our fellowship. Thank you to those who were at the workday yesterday and, and invested some sweat equity into this building and this property. Thank you. But none of those things make you right with God. Faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then walking in the way of obedience. That is worship that is pleasing to the Father. And so we will continue to do good things, but don't think for a moment that by doing good things, that is all that you need to give to God. It's not a checklist. All right, Sunday morning, good. One night a week, great. Read my verse of the day. I'm good with God. It is instead an understanding that He is not asking for simple things. He is asking for all of you. All of your life. All of your ways. And so... Worship is not selfish. It's not formulaic. And it's also not doing the right thing the wrong way. If you were ever a teenager that had to go to church with your parents, you know what that feels like. Right? The whole, it's time for church. Oh, all right, I guess I'll go. Because mom and dad made you. Because you felt like, well, if I don't go to church, God might strike me dead. Or I might not be able to get married before Jesus comes back, you know, if I don't go to church. So how about I'll do nice things for God so he'll do nice things for me. And that's not genuine worship. That's the heart of Saul who said, I'm going to do things hoping that God will be happy with the things that I do, all while doing it with a rebellious heart. According to my own standards and conditions. So what is genuine worship? The Apostle Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, I beg you, To give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. To give yourself as a living and holy sacrifice. The kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. He's not asking for for you to do things formulaic. He's not wanting you to be selfish. He's asking, in fact, for all that you are. If you give your body, there's nothing less to give, right? I mean... God doesn't... I should be careful how to say this, right? God doesn't want your money. It helps keep the kingdom rolling. We know finances are important. But He doesn't want just your money. He doesn't want just your attendance. He doesn't want just for you to be a nice person. He wants all of you and for your whole life to be submitted to Him. This is truly the way to worship Him. So... 1 Corinthians 10 31 says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In the most basic of things and in the most complex of things in this life, everything should be a living sacrifice to the king of all creation. And that is the lesson we can learn from Saul. He failed as king because he was not the right kind of man. Ultimately, the right kind of man comes in Christ Jesus, Son of God incarnate, who lives and dies and gives himself, rises again on the third day so that all who would believe on him can be saved from their sin and be given eternal life. And now that you have trusted on him as your Lord and Savior and made him your king, he deserves everything. And if your Christianity, if your faith life is formulaic or it's selfish, it will feel like it's falling flat and meaningless. But when you genuinely give all of yourself to Jesus, your Christ, the Son of the living God, your King, when He owns all of you non-negotiably and you are obedient to Him and all that you can be obedient in, in every circumstance of life, you will experience a fullness of faith and, and life that will just blow your mind. And the lesson we learn from Saul is, Fear God and worship Him with all that you are. And this will bring blessing into your life. You see, this whole story, all of it is about the glory of God and His plan of redemption for mankind. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you'd like to talk to someone, catch me after the service. Grab somebody here in the congregation. Do not let today be a day where you're satisfied with empty, formulaic, selfish worship of God but instead come to know Him genuinely and serve Him earnestly that you might experience the blessing of being loved by and loving with all your heart the one true King of all creation. Let's uh, pray together as the worship team comes forward to lead us in our final song. Father God, we thank You for today. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the work of the Gideons who are are sharing Your Word and, and how Your Word is powerful to us. Even these Old Testament histories They are not just a history that's empty and tells us some neat things about some interesting people, but they are the story of how you worked in mankind and they are lessons of what you want us to learn that we might walk with you more faithfully. Father, may we take to heart the story of Saul, a man who was chosen for all the wrong reasons by people who rejected you and it's no surprise that he continued to reject you and experienced cursing as he was disobedient. May we walk in obedience to you, Lord Jesus, our one true King. May we not worship you in empty, hollow, religious ways. May we not be selfish in our worship of you. May we not think that we can earn your favor or your love, but instead, may we love you with all that we are and in so doing, give of ourselves completely. This is what you deserve as worship our whole life, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, done for your glory. May it be so today and evermore and in an ever-increasing measure in our lives. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, and come soon. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing song.
1: Give life.
0: If you're visiting with us um, or you're not a member, I want to encourage you to join us for lunch, and we'll pray for here in just a second. But you can be dismissed as soon as we're done praying. Those of you who are members, we're going to have our quick special called meeting. So if you would just linger, if you're not sure if you're a member, then you're probably not. And... um, Just because, just you know, you've had to go through the hoops to, to be a member. So uh, we're going to pray and bless the meal and get you guys, some of you downstairs going. And then others of us, we're going to uh, join in on our short called business meeting to uh, hopefully approve that budgetary item. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the glory of your word. I thank you for Brother Jonas and his work uh, once again, the Gideons. And pray that you would bless your word as it goes out through their hands. Help us to be supportive, at least in prayer, but even in finances. As you call. We thank you for the food that awaits downstairs. We ask that you would bless it and bless our time of fellowship. And uh, we are so thankful for this church body that you've blessed us with. Knowing that this is not about ritual, it's not about religion, it's about relationship with you and one another and the blessings that we can experience through that. So we rejoice in this fellowship and we thank you for the food and the time that is to come. In the name of Jesus.